Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Good morning, everyone. Well, uh, today we're going to continue our summer series and today we're actually closing up our summer story series uh, that Jesus was teaching through the Gospels. Um, today we'll be covering Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And I especially like this week's text because it's basically the fundamental bedrock for, of our faith. And... Uh, I want to talk today about justification in Christ, justification in Christ. And if you could turn to the scripture, and as you're turning there, I'd like to set this up for a bit, if you don't mind. See, in our world and in our culture today, there has been the idea that we can fix it, that we could do things ourselves, that we can make things right. Even within the context of the Christian church, there are times that we can slip into this mindset that allows us to do works so that we can get God to do something for us, right? Or so that we can get closer to God by works. Now, um, how many of you remember the sitcom I Dream of Genie? Yeah, older, older folks like me and Pastor Tom and others. Yes, I had a crush on Barbara Eden too when I was a teenager. I used to fight with my brothers and tell them, no, she's my girlfriend, no, she's mine. And for you younger folks, how about Aladdin? All right? Well, in I Dream of Genie, Barbara Eden played the genie and Larry Hagman was Major Nelson. And Major Nelson was an astronaut, and he was at the beach, and he finds this lamp, rubs it, and here out comes this genie, and the rest is history. Everything he desired, he got because of this genie. Same with Aladdin, right? But God is not a magic lamp like Aladdin and like, I, like genie. You can't rub the gospel, and get what you want. But some of us treat the gospel that way. There are others that would turn to good works to try to earn right standing with God. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they think that this is what it's all about with the gospel, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Look what the Bible says about doing good deeds. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says that our deeds are like filthy rags compared to the God's glorious standard. I recently heard this illustration and it made me think. Running in an airplane. So when you run... Your, the goal is to get from one destination to the next. Oh, but Pastor Victor, I run just for exercise. Well, you run so that you could run enough 
so you can exercise your body, you still want to get from one destination to the next. Now, when you're in an airplane, you can run, but you're limited to as far as you can go. But are you really getting to that destination from one place to the next? Or is the airplane getting you there? Think about that. See, I'm getting older, unfortunately. Not a spring chicken anymore. Wake up in the morning, the back hurts. Got to sit at the edge of the bed and dangle my legs so that blood could flow a little bit before I stand up. Then I stand up and I got to pause before I take a step. Then I got to stretch a little bit before I head down the stairs to go take a shower. That's just life, right? Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I'm heading home from work and I take the train, get to my stop. Now I live in a two-fare zone, so I get out the train and I see my bus, and I go for a run to run after the bus. In my mind, I think I'm running, but it's more like a slow motion step. I take step one. After the second step, I feel a, a twist in the knee. I, I felt like I pulled the hamstring and twisted my knee at the same time. I get on the bus. Fortunately, there were still people boarding, so I was able to catch the bus, but I'm on the bus, and I felt little pain and I'll try to do everything but if you put me in a car right I can hit the gas and go as fast as I want of course not over the speed limit get myself in trouble but I can get to one destination to the other pretty fast I love to fly how about in an airplane go 500 miles an hour, I sit on the chair and relax, watch a movie, read a book, listen to music, perhaps take a nap, though if my wife is sitting next to me, I ain't taking a nap. She says, if you nap, nobody else will nap. She says, I snore too much. So that's not happening if my wife is sitting next to me. But the same is true in our relationship with Christ. You see, and where our justification comes from. If we try to do things on our own, if we, we will get tired, we will get exhausted, right? We will run out of energy. But if you put me in something, like in a car, in an airplane, it's a lot easier, right? The car is getting me there. I'm not exhausting my energy. The airplane's getting me there. I'm not exhausting my energy. Right? There's no problem. But we are called to be in Christ. Therefore, our lives shall operate by being in Christ, not in ourselves. Now that we have that framework, keep that in mind as we read the text in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And it goes as follows. And he also told this parable, this story, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, 
Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the simple gospel right here. Jesus uses two people as an example to explain justification of our sins. Now, let's go over this text. Point number one. First, he mentions someone who trusted in themselves. He then explains how this person trusted in their own righteousness and treated others poorly because of it. See, using the Pharisee as an example, right? He talks about how this person made a list of everything they did that was righteous. I think if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap, thinking that we can write a list of things that we do. God, you have to do this because you know that I fast twice a week. God, you have to do this because you know I give my tithes of everything I've earned. God, you know you have to do this. I go to church every Sunday. And we try to justify our own sin. And we try to get something from God by doing these religious things. This list can look something like this. Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe it's fasting, tithing. Right? Now, none of those are bad. We can arguably say that those are good things, right? But are we doing it with the right heart? Are our motives in the right place? For doing these things to earn something from God, then we miss the whole point of the gospel. Listen to me. You cannot earn anything from God. You can't and I can't. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to merit what Jesus has done for us on the cross. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to merit everything the Lord has done for us. There's no task, no amount of anything that we can do to merit God's love, mercy, and grace. What is the goal of these disciplines that we just mentioned? Fasting and tithing and going to church. The goal is so that we can draw closer to God. 
so that the Lord can stir up our hearts with a greater passion for more of him, so that the Lord can continue to shape us and mold us into the men and women of God he's called us to be and establish the right heart attitude. If we're doing these things out of a place of legalism, we will be judged by the law. And we all fall short of the law, right? God's standard, the disciplines that we do are affection that will stir up our desire for more of God. Now, let me give you an example. There are 613 commands from God. Out of those 613 commands from God, there are 10 that are called the Ten Commandments. I want to compare your life to a few of those commandments. Is that okay? But I need your participation. Is that cool? All right. By a show of hands, how many of you have loved other things more than God at some point in your life? You're in idolatry. Have you ever lied? You're a liar. <laughs> Have you ever caught yourself rejoicing when something bad happens to someone, especially someone you don't like? Well, guess what? That is coveting. You see, coveting is when you think that your ways of ruling are better than God's ways of ruling. The bottom line is that we all have done these things at some point or another. Here's the thing. We are all guilty of these things. This is why Jesus is telling this story. Because he is after your heart. He is after my heart. We can't mount up to God's standard on our own. We'll never get there. Impossible. And God, out of his love and out of his mercy and out of his grace... Right? Made a way for you and for me through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in the Gospel of John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now remember, we're talking justification, not sanctification. You see, sanctification comes after justification. And that is where God will start to work in us the things in our lives that need to be shaped and formed to make us more like the image of God. So what's justification? Just as if you never sinned. What's sanctification? Sanctification is a process that's ongoing even now. 
We are being sanctified each and every day. Every day the Lord is shaping us and molding us. Every day he's uprooting things out and giving us more of his heart. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Why? Because human nature you can't eliminate. Why? Because we're a fallen creature. It's only by God's mercy and by his grace and by his love that endures forever that we are able to approach, approach the cross of Christ. Point number two, the comparison. The second thing we see here is the Pharisee compares himself to the tax collector. See, he compared his good deeds to someone else's deeds. How often have we done that? Maybe you don't compare your actions, but you compare what you own. You compare what you have. You compare your children. Not my children. They don't do that. You compare how free you are in worship while the person next to you is just sitting there with his head bowed, eyes closed. Does that mean that I worship in the Lord? What's that called? That's called the comparison trap. And we, if we're not careful, we'll fall into it. And this is a hard one for me as a pastor, but even pastors, I feel, have had this mindset immersed in the pastoral culture. To compare yourself and your church to other churches. Here's what happens when a pastor goes to the conference. Hey, my name is Bob. I pastor ABC Church. Hey, Bob, how are you? That's great. Oh. How many people do you have on a Sunday? I'm not kidding. That's what, it, that's what happens. Talk to Bishop a lot. It happens all the time. What's happening here is that you're comparing your worth, your identity, and your success based on how many people attend your church on a Sunday. There's this idea that you are a great leader and an effective leader, and a great shepherd based on how many heinies are sitting on your seats on Sunday. See, social media is destroying this for people. How often do you compare the highlight reel, right, of someone else to your daily life? See, it's, in a, fall, it's a false illusion, people. We make too much of it. And if we're not careful, if we follow that path, it's going to take you down a dark, dark path. Point number three, be like the tax collector. Now, I don't think we understand how evil the tax collectors were at that time in Rome. See, the way the tax collector got his job it was that he betrayed his Jewish culture, right? He went and purchased the rights from Rome to be a tax collector for Rome, right? 
Then he would go with the Roman military and go and collect the taxes. And it might look like something like this. Okay, you got 10 fish. Three are for me. Those are your taxes. Three are for Rome. Those are your taxes. Three are for me. That's my profit. You got four left. Four are for you. And if the Jewish people didn't comply, then the Jewish people would get reinforcements. The Jewish, they get the Jewish military. They would come, and the military would go and take that person's all their belongings, not only their taxes, they take everything, and then they throw them in jail. See, when Jesus paints this picture, he says that the person who isn't doing the righteous things is the one that is justified. You catching that? Jesus said that the one who isn't doing the righteous things is the one that is justified. It is crucial for us to understand that Jesus is not looking for someone who's doing a bunch of religious tasks. Jesus is looking for someone that would humble themselves before him and come before him with a heart of humility. That's what he's looking for. So the complaint by the Pharisee about that one, the tax collector crying out to God, well, the one that was crying out was the one that was justified because he acknowledged who he was. He said, Father, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. Listen, if you get nothing else out of this message today, get this. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. You can't fix it. You can't earn it. The best thing for us to understand is when it comes to our salvation and justification of our sins is that Jesus is the only one that can do it. That is why the grace of God is so scandalous. We can't earn it. And we don't deserve it. Yet God and his loving kindness and mercy and grace gives it away freely to you and to me. Point number four. Humility prepares the heart. Humility prepares the heart. Now Jesus ends it with saying... If you are exalting yourself, you will be humbled. But if you are humbling yourself, he will exalt you. Now in this context, he is referencing our justification and salvation. But you also see this principle throughout all the scriptures, right? In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist says, I 
must decrease so that he can increase. James, the brother of Jesus, said, God opposes the proud. Don't have a prideful heart. Don't think that you have it all together, folks. I don't care how many years you've been serving the Lord. You don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. The best thing that we can do in our spiritual lives is to recognize that we can't do it and that Jesus is the only one that can. You see, we spin our wheels and at times we waste so much time condemning ourselves because of the mistakes we've made in our lives. And we think we're not worthy to draw near to God. Yeah, I used to serve the Lord, but uh, I messed up. There's no way God can forgive me now. There's no way I can come back. That is a lie from the pit of hell. All we have to do is surrender. All we have to do is, Lord God, search me and know me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you you're too far gone. But I'm a leader. I, I, I can't say that. So many people look up to me. You think you're hiding it from somebody? You're hiding it. You think you're hiding it from the one that sees all things and knows all things? Confess your sins one to another. Get that confidant, that mentor. Go to them. Share your heart. Be open. Bring it into the light. Because when we are in the light as he is in the light, then we have true fellowship with one another. Jesus is the only answer. He is the only way. There's no other way. Now, I want to talk to two people in this room. First, being a person who has never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You heard about Jesus. You've listened to messages. You've gone to church. But you've never taken that step. And saying, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take me as I am. The other person I want to talk to is the believer. One who is a follower of a Christ. Now to you who's not a follower of Jesus, understand this. Whether you're here in person or watching on live stream. God loves you. 
God gave Jesus his only begotten son so that he can take your place and my place on that cross and pay the penalty of sin and death for you and for me. You don't have to hide from the fact that you are broken on the inside. It's okay to not be okay. He says, come as you are. When Bishop told me 29 years ago, it's okay. The Bible says, come as you are. It was, sounded simple, but it was a revelation that just cascaded over me in such a way. Really? I can come like this? My football jersey, beat up sweats, dirty sneakers, sweaty after a game. That was a divine revelation for me. For you, it might be something else. Nevertheless, regardless of what it is, whatever obstacle or excuse you are putting in the way to stop you from pursuing God, guess what? Get rid of it. Ignore it. Come as you are. And for those who are followers of Jesus... Don't be the Pharisee. Don't be the one pointing fingers. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how God reached out to you and accepted you with all your baggage. See, you don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. None of us do. But that's when we are justified by faith. When we draw near to him and embrace the cross of Christ and say, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. Father, give me your heart. Give me your mind for others. When we come across knowing that we are the children of God, that we are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that we are to be the one that extend our hands to one that needs a helping hand. We're not here out of religious obligation. We're here for the sole purpose to create an atmosphere where people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, where people can come and worship the Lord freely, where people can come and experience the love of God. That is our purpose here as a follower of Christ. We're not here to judge. We're here to love on God's people. Before I pass this on to Elder Garvey for communion. I want to pray. And I want to pray for you watching on live stream 
that the Lord, and I really sense it, that there are people watching and you're overwhelmed and you don't understand what's going on. And that's the Holy Spirit really tugging on your heart and saying, I'm speaking to you. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the Lord's speaking to you as well. Therefore, with every head bow and every eye closed, if that's you, pray this prayer with me. And those watching on live stream, if you pray this prayer, send us a message in the chat. Let us know who you are. And someone will reach out to you. Let us pray. Father, if you want to pray this prayer, you want to give your life to Christ, pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Lord, I surrender my life to you today. I want you to be my Lord and my deliverer. Take me as I am. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. If that's you, praise God. For those of you who are followers of Christ, perhaps you are feeling conviction because there were times that you were just like the Pharisee. I was. I was convicted as I was preparing for this message. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that Father, that we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, and the life that we live, we live because of you. Father, you are the giver of life. Only you can justify, Father. Only you can make things right. Only you, oh God, can enable us to be in right standing with you. So, Lord, we pray that you would search our hearts and know us, Lord, and that you would renew a steadfast spirit within us. Lord, help us, Father, to have your compassion, your heart, and your love for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.